You're listening to the Grace Church Podcast, a weekly podcast dedicated to bringing you biblical guidance to life's most important issues. Visit us on the web at visitgracechurch.com. I want to welcome you here uh, to Grace Church and give you an update on our connection of the week. Every week we try to feature... Uh, one of our either Bible studies or small groups, uh, connecting points, or even one of our ministries in the church, outside of the church. This week uh, is our connection of the week is our own at 365.com. And you might be newer to Grace visiting here uh, the last couple weeks or whatever. I want to give you an update. Own at 365.com is a Bible reading plan in a year that we developed right here at Grace Church, built on a couple key concepts. Uh, we designed it so you'd only have to read six days a week, not seven. So there's a catch-up day or rest day built right in there. That's uh, quite helpful to people as they're trying to catch up throughout the week. Life happens. It's built upon two readings a day where there's a reading from the Old Testament. And then also it's coupled with something, those difficult passages, something from either the wisdom books or the New Testament to give you hope every single day. Uh, It's also built, there's a, a, a family chapter identified in each day's reading that if you're talking with, about this with your family, maybe you're dating somebody, you're talking about that, what have you, you know what chapter you can talk about. Uh, we also have the very same topics being discussed on the weekends, both adults right here, children's ministry, talking about the same topics. We are attempting to break down the walls between church and home, between adult and children's ministries, youth ministries, so that there's like one aligned ministry, family-oriented and so we're encouraging you to do that. If you want to register today, you can do that. There are other, a host of resources. There's our website online with some training videos, some uh, introductory videos. There's our weekly tip sheets in the worship guide. There's free Bibles, free MP3 Bibles. You can wrestle and get onto your smartphone. I did myself. Very helpful. They're at the info center. So go by and pick up a free MP3 Bible if you'd like to do that. It's very helpful to have it read to you sometimes. We've integrated it with YouVersion, the most popular Bible reading program in the world. Uh, and so we have, I think, over 2,200 people right here uh, who are part of Own It and also some 6,500 or so uh, on YouVersion. People around the world, I heard this week, somebody in Switzerland, a whole group in Switzerland got hooked up with uh, the ownit365.com. Hey, they're, they, uh, they're not against anybody. They're pro everybody. So they joined us as well. We're glad to have them. Uh, I do have some stories here, uh, the last couple weeks, people sent those. Uh, one, one person wrote this about their experience. They said, I just want to say how much I praise God for using Own It 365 to help me so much. Uh, I'm actually reading one chapter every morning, even when I have to go to work early. I find that if I don't read first, my day really gets off track. I mean, I'm really on schedule for the first time, and I'm sticking with it. I even journal a little bit with it, too, so I just had to give praise to my king. Thank you so much for owning 365 and its tools. And then there's another story which gives hope for the rest of us, uh, which is truly, this has been a blessing and quite an education for us, uh, for me. Will you please keep the website available even after the year ends? Uh, because I, I admit, I have not kept up with the reading schedule. But that doesn't mean I don't want to continue to work on it. Will you please, all caps, please, Keep this website active after December for us slowpokes. We wrote this person back and we said, no. Uh, but, 
No, 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 we didn't say that. But I love the attitude because people, we beat ourselves up. We get behind. We feel like we're like, okay, less spiritual, whatever the case may be. Don't beat yourself up. The goal is not to go check off another chapter. The goal is to meet with God. And even if you're like back in the plan some days, weeks, or months, you're, you're months behind, that's okay. As long as you meet God in the pages of his word. We encourage you to forget the past. Join us today. In fact, I uh, encourage you, if you're behind, forget where you're at. Join us today. Pick it right up. Or if you're newer to Grace, you want to join us. You can take this registration form out of your worship guide, put your name and email on it, deliver that to the info center. They'll give you a red reminder bracelet, and you are in. You have joined us in this Own It uh, Bible reading and year plan. So please join us. Well, today, we kick off a brand new series, uh, a brand new series called Friended. And uh, uh, to start off, I thought we'd do some group brainstorming. This is highly interactive. We're all going to be a part of this. We're gonna, our video team is going to put our answers together up on the screen. That's how interactive this is. So here's the question I want us to brainstorm on. Think about friendships. And think, what kinds of things do you do for a friend that you don't do if they're a non-friend? Like, what kinds of actions? How do you know by somebody's actions uh, that those two people are friends? Okay, what kind of things do you do, actions of friendship? What'd you say? Hug? That's right, hug. I typically don't hug strangers. Uh, you don't hug strangers. So yeah, hug's one of them. Let's put them up on the screen. Hug's number one. What's the next one? Spend time together. Yeah, hang out, spend time together. What else? Share secrets. Yes, who here shares secrets with complete strangers? No, you don't. Yeah, with a friend. Absolutely. What else? Confess. Absolutely. I am sorry. I did this to you. Absolutely, right. That's totally true. What else? Help them move. Yes. That's like the total man friend. That you've made it in if a man, okay, hey, dude, I, we're not that close. I mean, seriously, you want me to move you? That's a real serious, that's an elevating the relationship for a man, let's be honest. Help them move. What else? Tell them you love them. Tell them you love them. Absolutely. Tell them you love them. What else? Take care of their kids. Take care of their kids. Yes. Or even more so, their cat. Oh, my wife's cat. Wake up today, that thing is staring at me right here. My wife's cat. What else? Hey, anybody want a free cat? Anything else? Yeah, listen to them, right? You give special listening to friends. There's a number of things that we do for our friends that identify that these are actions of friendships. Now, as we brainstorm on this list, my guess is you're probably not thinking that these are the highest stakes things in life. Like friendships, do you view, you wouldn't I typically, view your friendships as a high stakes endeavor. I guess I want to propose to you with this series we're, we're in, we're kicking off three weeks, um, that your friendships might well be the highest stakes endeavor in your entire life. That you can have the biggest bang for the buck, the biggest impact on people around you through your friendships. That lives here can be changed. That your friendships can change families, the fundamental dynamic in the home. Based on that, that you can change our entire community based on your friendships. That our nation can be changed by our friendships. 
Our world can be fundamentally transformed by our friendships and eternity can be changed forever and ever and ever. We're starting a three-week series of the book of Mark. That's where we happen to be reading in the Own It plan. Three weeks of the book of Mark, three stories of where friendships change this world and eternity. We're going to be in Mark chapter 2 today, so turn to Mark chapter 2 if you'd like. Uh, and I think our ushers, as always, have Bibles, pens, and worship guides. So wave them down. If you want a worship guide that has the message notes, uh, they have pens, extra pens. You can take notes and Bibles. Please feel free to wave them down. Mark chapter 2. I'm going to give you a reset of what Mark uh, is all about. Mark is kind of like, uh, like a music video that MTV used to do when they used to do, when they used to do music videos. Uh, instead of all the reality shows, and who knows what they're putting on there now. But uh, it's kind of like fast action. Mark, the key word in the book of Mark is immediately. Like immediately this happened. Quick cuts, immediately. 42 times in Mark. Uh, Mark references this immediately, this instantaneous uh, transformation of what God is doing. Jesus picked in the book, early in the book of Mark, you see Jesus goes public with his ministry in the rural area. Uh, up in the Northland in Galilee, this area. And he, he centers his worldwide headquarters, is centered in a city called Capernaum, which is on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, now, Ben and I, our worship pastor, actually visited Israel about two and a half years ago. Let's put that up on the, uh, there we go. There's Ben and his father, Tass. Tass is someone we support when you give to Grace we tithe as a church. We make sure at least 10% goes out to other ministries. And when you support, you support people like Tass uh, as well. Tass is a Palestinian who is ministering among the Palestinian peoples. And so he visited his humanitarian efforts, his various things he's doing there, fantastic ministry. We got a chance to visit various places, Ben and I did, in Israel. We visited the place, the location in the Sea of Galilee in Capernaum that we're talking about today. So the next slide is the, the Sea of Galilee. It's less like a sea and more like a big lake. I mean, it's only eight miles wide, 13 miles deep. It's the lowest freshwater lake in the world. Very fertile, lots of uh, flora and fauna there. Uh, it was a fishing area. And so this is the very shores that Jesus walked. And Peter and Andrew and James and John. And uh, this is actually, uh, it's actually kind of hazy. When it's dark, though, and stormy, it's a very dangerous lake, as you saw out in the Gospels. Lots of ships have been lost, lives have been lost on this Sea of Galilee. On the north side of the shore is a city called Capernaum. And Capernaum, actually in Jesus' day, was a big town that we would call it a small town today. It had 1,500 people, somewhere in that range, which back in the day was a, human, you know, that's a large city. But it's small enough that everybody knew everybody still, all right? And so these are actually ruins you can visit on the north side of the Sea of Galilee where our story takes place. This was the worldwide headquarters of Jesus' ministry, the city of Capernaum. Some of these rocks date from the first century. These are the houses that Jesus could have been in. Peter and, James, Peter and Andrew's house was here in this area. Uh, James and John, their house was here. Peter, or Matthew's house was here. And so in the story in Mark chapter 1, you find Jesus launching in this rural northern area. He actually went to the synagogue. And let's go to the synagogue here. This is actually a third century synagogue. So Jesus not, would not have walked in this synagogue. But this is the next version of the facility that the old synagogue upgraded to. So he would have been in their ancestors. He went to this synagogue and their ancestors' older facility, taught 
blew their minds, healed a man uh, that was demon-possessed there, went back home to Peter and Andrew's house. Let's go to the next slide. And so in the Peter and Andrew's house, he actually healed Peter's mother-in-law. And then the whole city starts showing up. They all want to be healed. It's just chaos as they all show up. He leaves and goes and starts speaking all throughout the rural area of Galilee in the north. And finally shows up in Mark 2, in our story, and tries to sneak back into town. But unfortunately, Jesus is a rock star now. He doesn't sneak anywhere. And so when he shows up, everybody shows up. It's the first century flash mob. When they all show up, hey, flash mob at Pete's. They all show up Jesus' house trying to get access to him, hear him teach, see him do miracles. And what we're going to see today is the, the lengths that four friends go through. They do whatever it takes to get their friend before Jesus. They know they can't cause Jesus to heal him, but they can do one thing. They can get him in front of Jesus. And I guess my question is this, what would you go through? What lengths would you go through with your friends who don't know Jesus, with your family who doesn't know Jesus, with the people that you sit with on the ball fields and watch games and they don't know Jesus, guys in your classroom, buddies of yours, guys, they have no idea who Jesus is and their life is far worse now because of it because he's not leading their life. Their destiny is forever and ever in eternal judgment. What lengths would you go through? Because the stakes are so, so high for your friends. We have this whole list of friendships. What do real friends do for their friends who don't know Jesus? Let me pray and we'll dive in. Lord, I pray you transport us 2,000 years ago, in our minds, to the city, to Capernaum, and to these four friends. And as we watch the lengths they go through to get their friend before Jesus, would your spirit be speaking to us about friends we have? Give us names and faces in our minds right now of people you want us to do whatever it takes to get them to meet, to be introduced to Jesus. And then that's their decision between them and God. Would you do that right now? If somebody here doesn't know Jesus Christ, this is the day. Introduce them to the risen Savior, the one who can change their life. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Let's walk through Mark uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Get a sense. Here he is. Jesus tries to sneak into town, verse 1 and 2. He's a rock star. He doesn't sneak anywhere. Verse 1 and 2. It says, and again, he entered Capernaum after some days. And it was heard that He was in the house, right? Jesus is in the house now. He's in Peter's house, Andrew's house. Immediately, there's our key word, many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. He's preaching the word of the kingdom. Mark chapter one, verse 15 says, he's preaching that all the prophecies, the time is now fulfilled. The kingdom of God is here. If you want it, repent and believe this good news. Repent means to turn back to God and believe the good news that all the prophecies have come to bear right now. And so it says there's so many people gathered in this flash mob in the town that they couldn't even get near the door. They just were far out there, you know, feet, you know, foot after foot after foot, you know, 10, 15, 20 feet away from the windows and doors trying to hear what he's teaching. And so these four guys show up. They show up late carrying a stretcher, a mat, a bed with their friend on it. It says in verse three and four, and they came to him, 
then they came to him bringing a paralytic who is carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, I mean, the crowd's the very first obstacle they show up. I mean, they can't even get their buddy even near Jesus. But see, that obstacle doesn't stop them. The crowd doesn't bug them. There's too much at stake for their friend. Let a bunch of people get in the way of getting their friend to Jesus. And in Jesus' day, there was often the houses had, an, had a flat roof. You would build with a bunch of branches, and you would pack it with clay, uh, sod, maybe lath. Uh, you'd put even clay tiles on there, even glass. You'd create this flat roof you could even walk on, and there was an outer staircase, kind of rickety, small, high, you know, not an ADA-approved staircase. I mean, I'm talking just getting people up there. And so they say, well, let's go that way. It says in verse 3 and 4, or verse 4, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, I mean, violent terminology, they broke through the roof. They let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. So here they come over to the stairs. And when you carry a guy on the stretcher up some rickety, steep stairs, I mean, you're concerned you're going to dump him. And so you got to have one, the guys on the bottom are holding him nice and high. The guys on the top are holding him. No, no, watch it. Don't dump our friend who are trying to get over Jesus, up these stairs. They get up on top. Maybe there's a hole up here looking down in the courtyard. <gasps> no, it's all roofed over. This isn't even their house. And they got a big roof. That's another obstacle. The roof's no obstacle. They walk around, clomp, clomp, clomp. Jesus is in the middle of teaching in a message. And there's some guys you want to interrupt. That's okay. There's other guys I would suggest... It's not the best to interrupt their teaching. And these guys, it doesn't even bother them. They're interrupting Jesus in the middle of his message. And so they clomp, clomp, clomp around. They somehow figure out where Jesus is teaching. And they go, here. And they take their bare hands. They set the stretcher down. And they rip up the roof. They don't let the house property destruction bug them. They don't let how much it's going to cost money-wise to fix the roof bug them. They don't let the criticism of the crowd and the religious bug them. Nothing stops them. Why? The stakes are too high. They have to get their friend in front of Jesus. They don't know if Jesus is going to heal him. They don't know if the guy's going to accept it. But they know what they, they're going to do what they can do to get their friend to encounter Jesus. That's all they can do. And so imagine, imagine like right now if there was like some guys with a jackhammer on our roof, right? At that point, I mean, stuff's flying down. I mean, you're going to hit Jesus. He needs a hard hat, Jesus does now. Stuff's flying down in the crowd. There's sod and branches and all the attention at that moment is off the teaching. Message over. Let's be honest. Nobody's listening to Jesus at that point. All the focus is on these friends. They don't care. The stakes are too high. For their friend. Then it goes on to say, Jesus, when they finally lowered him down, the, even the height was not an obstacle because they got this stretcher where they got to get him down through the height so they get these ropes. It's a fishing town, most likely fishing ropes. They lower him down. Your side, my side, try not to dump him until he finally comes to rest right in front of Jesus. So Jesus says some of the strangest things. He says, when he sees, verse 5, when he sees their faith, their faith, not just his faith. Now, this man, and the, the man on the mat had to have faith himself. That's part of the message. Repent and believe yourself. But the emphasis in the story, the emphasis is on the friend's faith, dumping him down through this, not small hole, a big hole you can dump a stretcher through. 
on the friend's face. When he saw their faith, if they could, they believed if they could just get their friend in front of Jesus, Jesus could change their friend's life. And so when he sees their faith, he says to him, son, your sins are forgiven you. There is not one sin that God now remembers. Every sin you've ever committed your entire life is gone. It's gone. Every sin you've committed, the sins you knew you committed, you're guilty, you're still, you're shame and regret to this day. The sins you have no idea you committed, those countless sins that you committed, you just didn't know you were committing those sins. When you get to heaven someday, son, when you get, and you say, oh, you see, see your life from God's perspective. Oh, God, I'm so sorry. I see my life. I'm so sorry. I committed this sin and that sin. And God goes to you someday, I'm sorry. I'm unfamiliar with what you're talking about. You see, since I forgave you, I forgot about it. What are you talking about here? So he heals him of all of his sins. Then the scribes and Pharisees have come to check him out. There's people from Jerusalem, the southern area of Judea, and the northern rural area of, Samaria, of, of, uh, of Gal- uh, Galilee. They're all gathered in this house, and they are indignant. How, who does this guy think he is? Forgiving sins. So they ask two questions. Basically, who does he think he is? In verse 6, it says, And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak blasphemies? Like this. I mean, don't you know you can die from blasphemy? That's capital punishment. Who, who does this guy think he is that can forgive sins but God alone? So Jesus gets a sense of what they're thinking. He is God. And so he asks them two questions. But immediately, verse 8, when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, Why? Why do you reason? about these things in your hearts. I mean, don't you guys know what's going on here? Don't you know who's sitting before you right now? Haven't you seen the miracles, heard the message? He says, which is easier, verse 9? Is it easier to say to a paralyzed person, to tell him your sins are forgiven, or is it easier to say to a paralyzed person, arise, take up your bed and walk? Well, it's probably easier to say... Your sins are forgiven. Why? Nobody can verify it. Anybody can just say it. But if you say, rise up, take up your bed and walk, then, then you can verify if he does that or not. And it's, for both of those, by the way, Jesus, it's, easier, it's easy for Jesus either way. He can heal your sins as easily as he can heal miracles in your life, do miracles of healing. It's, they're all easy to God. So he says in verse 10, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. He tells these, these scribes and leaders, now guys, I'm about to heal this guy physically, and I'm healing him for you. The people who do not believe that I am God, people who do not believe I am the Messiah, I'm gonna heal him so you know that I do have power to forgive sins. So he turns this guy on this bed. Now, the ancient world did not have the hygiene standards of the modern world, much less the modern Western developed world. I mean, that mat, you know how stinky he would have been and all the people would have been and how stinky that mat, every morning that guy woke up on this dirty, stinky, 
mat which he was a slave to. He couldn't go anywhere unless his friends picked him up or two friends dragged him places. He, he made money by being dropped off at various places to get alms or gifts. He was a beggar uh, sentenced to be begging for life. His whole every day wakes up and he sees the same stupid mat. And now he's told, arise. Man, you, you were carried in on the mat. I want the man to carry out the mat now. So he immediately gets up. It says he's healed immediately, not progressively. He arose, took up the bed, the bed he was a slave to his entire life or, how, or whoever, however long it was. He went out in the presence of them all so that all were amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. It says in Luke 5, they were filled with fear. Can you imagine this man standing up and feeling strength in his legs that he had not felt? Looking down finally on the mat, reaching down with his arms and picking up that stupid mat that he had been sentenced to. And the Bible says in elsewhere, he glorified God. God healed me. Look at me, God. And he picked his way. Excuse me. Excuse me. I'm sorry. Bonk. I'm sorry about that. But hey, he could walk now. And he went out and went back. Don't miss this. He went back to his house. Jesus said, get up, pick up your mat, and go back to your family. Go back to your house. Imagine the four friends up on the roof looking at this big hole they caused. Now, at that point, when you see your friend healed, all of the obstacles and the trouble you faced, none of it matters anymore. The money they just spent ripping up the house didn't matter. The crowd they might have offended didn't matter. Religious people they got mad at didn't matter. It didn't matter. It didn't matter what they they didn't care. Jesus had healed their friend and forgiven him of sin. Guys, it's hard to describe to somebody who's never been witness to sharing the gospel with somebody and being there the moment they get saved. Don't they receive Christ as Savior? Like everything changes. When you experience that, you're a firsthand witness of like reaping the labors of countless people. When you're there, you've sown and you hear about a friend. And you, you cannot underestimate the jolt God gives you because one of your friends are forgiven of sin and changed. Like when's the last time you were a firsthand front row witness of God saving somebody that you had been working with, that you were friends with. It changes your life. Now, this story uh, just packed, but the heroes in the story, I think the emphasis is on the four friends. I want to just talk about just for a moment <clears throat> what the four friends teach us. I think my first thought from this story, it's on the other side of your handout, my first thought comes from just how many people it took to help their friend get in front of Jesus. I mean, it just wasn't one friend. It wasn't two friends. It, wasn't th- it took four friends helping together to get their friend to Jesus. And it reminds me of this first thought. Uh, everybody, everybody, if you're going to get saved, receive Christ as Savior, everyone needs help to come to Jesus. Everyone needs team help intentional help, prayerful help. Like, these guys didn't, I mean, didn't get him in front of Jesus. 
by swinging by, picking up his mat, his stretcher, and, and said, well, what do you want to do? You want to go see the sea? It's still there. It's beautiful. Let's walk out there. And let's walk down this street. I'll, hey, there's a crowd here. It wasn't an accident this guy came to know Jesus. No, these four friends heard about Jesus being there and said, we need to get our friend to Jesus. It takes intentionality. It takes prayer. Dear God, how much time do you think they prayed? Dear God, please, if you could just heal him, heal our friend. We can't do it, but you can do this. It took a team to do this. And I started thinking back in my life, 23 years ago when I received Christ, and coming up on my 23rd spiritual birthday, uh, July 20th of 1988, I thought about how many people were involved with lifting my stretcher, getting me in front of Jesus so that I received Christ. I mean, it started with my mom and my dad being my first friends. Your parents are your first friends. And my mom showed me, taught me about Jesus being Savior. My dad taught me about the fear of God. <laughs> that, that when you do something wrong, there are consequences. But they were my first friends. And then in high school, at Blue Springs High School, I had friends who invited me out. I'm not a Christian. We had the largest high school in, in Missouri at the time. We had a bunch of guys who could ball but couldn't make it on the team. And so they, there was this one church in Blue Springs, uh, I think it was Plaza Heights Baptist, I, and I, I went over there, uh, and there was a bunch of guys who could ball, and to ball, though, you had to go to Sunday school, and you had to go to a youth rally once a year, and so we're all there, and my friends brought me to church using basketball. And I remember sitting for the first time looking at the Bible verses and considering who Jesus was. I remember going to the youth rally where there's a Billy Graham-esque Youth rally in Kansas City. I remember going forward on the second row, going downstairs, second floor, downstairs, going forward to receive Christ as Savior. And God bless the counselor. He did not lead me to Jesus. He didn't ask enough questions because I didn't know what I was there for. I just knew that God was calling me. He couldn't figure out I need to be saved. That's okay. God had gracious, uh, he was gracious to me. Then I had friends when I was in college at Stanford University in California. There was the great Zarda barbecue revival of the late 1980s in Blue Springs. It was awesome. There were hundreds of young people that got saved in the late 80s in the Blue Springs Zarda barbecue because of two managers sharing the gospel over and over. And I got swept up in that revival. It was a revival. But I had friends who invited me to church. I would never, ever go to church with an invite or seeing a building, like getting a, a note or whatever. It took friends carrying me to church, using basketball, using softball, uh, bringing me to Bible studies, picking me up, driving me. My, my mat was like, they'd swing by and pick me up, make sure I would get there. Why? Because I may not get there if they didn't come pick me up. And I had friends take me, and I'll never forget that night, a Wednesday night at yet another Bible study, at yet another new friend's house with a third guy leading me to Jesus Christ. And at that moment, I knelt down, I prayed to receive Christ as Savior, and I got up, and spiritually, I picked up that stupid mat I had been stuck on my entire life. Couldn't go anywhere, could not walk with God, and I was no longer a slave to it. The things I used to be a slave to, I was freed from. It was like an open victory over it. And my friends around me, all the guys that carried me there before Jesus, they couldn't save me, but they could get me in front of Jesus. They rejoiced. And that's what Paul describes, by the way. 1 Corinthians 3 says it's a team effort. Your friends will come to Christ not because of you alone. Some of us, we take too much weight on ourselves. We feel like we're the only person who can save our wife, our husband, our dad, our mom, our grandfather and grandpa and you know, our friends. Oh, if I don't do it, it's a team. 
One person sows, another person waters. God gives the increase. It's also why you, you need to expose your friends in multiple venues using whatever it takes to get them around other Christians, like, like the craft group, like athletic events, like a picnic, like a Bible study small group, you name it, whatever it takes, you get your friends around them. They can befriend and they can see Jesus lived out in other people's lives and they can water what's been sown in their lives. Think in your lives, how many people, it took me like 10 to 20 people carrying my mat. I mean, how many people impacted you to receive Christ? It's gonna take you getting your friends in venues where they can make other friends to help carry them to Jesus. It leads me to my second thought. If you buy into the fact that God has you here to see your friends come to Jesus, you're going to face obstacles. And that's my second thought. Everybody faces obstacles to come to Jesus. Everybody faces obstacles. Think about the obstacles these four friends faced. The crowd was an obstacle, and they blew right by it. The rickety stairs were an obstacle, and they somehow got him up without dumping him. The roof was an obstacle, and they ripped it up limb by limb, throwing debris on people and throwing it out. The height was an obstacle. How are they going to get him from the top down before Jesus? The money was an obstacle. Who's going to pay for this roof? I think Peter and Andrew's mom's like, what are you doing to our house? The criticism was an obstacle. But all the religious leaders and the homeowner and the, and the community, this is a small town. Everybody knows everybody. And the fear, the fear of failure was probably an obstacle. Like, what if they bring this guy down there before Jesus and nothing happens? Nothing changes. I mean, we're going to look like idiots. And guys, there's all sorts of obstacles that come into your life when you start to be part of the team to lead people to Jesus. You have all types of obstacles. I mean, think about the obstacles you and I face. There's fears that we are going to be a failure. We can share the gospel. Doubts we can even do or they'll listen. Fear about losing the friendship. There's sins in our life that start beating. There's distractions in our life. There's fear about how much it's going to cost us money-wise. We start losing up, losing heart or giving up. Criticism, you name it. All these obstacles happen in our life. And my question is, what obstacles are you letting right now stop you? from being a part of bringing your friends and putting them in front of Jesus Christ. Get him in contact with him. I mean, the story goes, uh, by the way, in the book of, Job, book of Job chapter 1 and 2, you see this spiritual warfare going on behind the scenes of Job 1 and 2, the debate between God and Satan. And yet, the results of that just look like physical things, physical tragedies. And there are physical things that are distractions, from the real issue, the real spiritual issue. As far as running yesterday, I, was, I took these notes uh, and I went running and I sweated all over. I actually literally take a pen and, and, and the weekend notes and I go running. If you want to see, this is one sweaty mess right here. So at one point, I, it struck me. I'm thinking about this point, praying for you. And it struck me about obstacles. And I stopped under a tree. I've been running for 25 years pretty consistently. And I've jumped, I've jumped over snakes. I've been attacked by dogs. I've almost been hit by cars. I've had lightning almost hit. I have never had this experience that I had yesterday. So I stop under a tree. I'm trying. It's like 93 degrees or whatever. I'm like, okay. I wrote down satanic attacks. It's a behind-the-scenes battle like Job. And then I wrote down, it's, it'll look like a physical attack. It'll look like physical, but it's not. 
At that moment, a bird attacked me. <laughs> 25 years. Okay, so, so uh, all of a sudden I hear, and, all, and I'm like, what's going on here? And I feel the wind and the wing just whoosh right by my head. I thought, wow, that was weird. And it comes back. Dive bomb after dive bomb after. I'm like, I'm, I finally take my fist. I got my pen, my notes, and my fist. And I'm looking for that thing. I swipe, and I get nothing. I get air. And I start running 10 yards, 20 yards. It's chasing me. Ah, 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 ah. Dive bomb after dive bomb. Finally, I get far enough away 30, 40, 50 yards. I'm like, what in the world just happened right here? And it hit me. God spoke to me at that point because I said, I just wrote. Sometimes you have a physical attack that you think is just a random event. But there's a spiritual element behind it that you can't see. And what it hit me was that our, the things that go on that distract us, they distract us from the real issue. And I started wondering how many of us are engaged with getting our friends before Jesus, and here come the distractions. Now, all your attention is on this bird, this event, this bill, this medical issue. You're leading them. They actually, they're getting close to receiving Christ, and this guy meets a girl out of the blue, and boom, their heart is off there. It's distraction. Satan will not let them go easily. He is fighting for the destiny of their souls. He's fighting to control them right here. It's why he says over in 2 Corinthians, four that they are perishing they are blinded and they do not believe and don't think for a second when you're trying to lead your friends to christ that it's going to be an easy endeavor at some point there'll be obstacles and you're going to think about all the crowds and the money and the fears and the doubts and the criticism and and all of a sudden these distractions come in there this is nothing more than a satanic attempt to divert you from the real issue of getting your friend in front of Jesus. And then it's between them and God. Everybody faces obstacles to bring people to Jesus Christ. My last thought is this, and this is the theme of the whole series. It's this one. You're a real friend. This is the point of the friended series. You're a real friend when you introduce your friend to your best friend. The point of this whole series is that you're a real friend. How do you know you're a real friend? We have this whole list of what real friends do, right? You do those for your friends, but you don't do it for strangers. You're a real friend when you pick up the mat with your three other buddies and you introduce your friend to your best friend. And that's Jesus. Because whether you realize it or not, the day you receive Christ as Savior, Jesus just became your best friend. He's done everything for you at the cross. He's risen. He saved you, changed you. What other good friend thinks about you 24 hours a day, seven days a week? Whatever good friend prays for you 24 hours a day, seven days a week, does things for you, takes care of you, he is your best friend, whether you realize it or not. He's sustaining you, caring for you, praying for you, interceding for you. He is your best friend. If you're really gonna be a good friend, if you're a real friend, that's how you know. You'll do whatever it takes to pick up one edge of the mat that the man is on and introduce him to your best friend. Because the stakes, guys, they are so, so high. You know, I wondered, I've wondered why 
God doesn't press the easy button for us. Like, why doesn't God, at the moment you pray to receive Christ, for me, I was 19 years old, and I prayed, dear Jesus, would you re- I just receive you. I admit I'm a sinner. I admit that my, my sins are going to judge me. I don't want to die and go to hell. I want to have you as Lord today. Change my life. I receive you as Lord, leader, and Savior. And why, why don't you, dear, in Jesus' name, amen. And now you're caught up in the presence of God. That's the easy button. No more sin, no more heartache, no more tears. You can serve God in his kingdom. Wouldn't that be the easier route? And I've wondered about it. Now, there's, there's a guy in Mark chapter 5. This is why God doesn't just take you into his presence the moment you receive him, though that would be far better for you. It says in Mark chapter uh, 5, verse 19, this guy gets down and he begs Jesus. He's just been healed of demons. He says, Jesus, please take me with you. I don't want to be here. I'm kind of a reject now that I'm ostracized. Let me come with you. I'll I'll do whatever. I'll just want to be at your feet. And Jesus makes this comment to him. He says, no. Verse 19, go home. That's just what he told the guy on the mat. The man on the mat, he says, get up, pick up your mat, and go home. Go back to your family. Go back to your friends. He says, go home to your friends. Because your friends still need Jesus. Go home to your friends and tell them. You say, well, I don't know the Bible verses. I don't know what to say. I'm so, I mean, I don't, I don't know what to do. Don't tell them Bible verses. Don't tell them all the prophecies. You don't know that. Don't feel comfortable. It doesn't matter. You tell them what great things the Lord has done for you. You tell them your story. You start with how God has changed your heart, given you more peace, give you some stable friendships, that your finances are being stabilized, that you're praying and getting God answering prayer. You don't know all the Bible verses and the prophecies to save your life, but you do know your story. You know that you once were stuck on the mat, whatever your mat was, and it was your master. And now your mat, which used to be your master, is no longer your master. You've gotten victory over it. And whatever your mat is, you show them. Now this thing used to keep me a slave. This thing, I was stuck every day of my life, couldn't get away from it. And this thing, Jesus freed me from. And you need to know about Jesus. My question is this. I mean, why didn't God just catch you up? He he left you here to reach your family, to reach your friends, to sit on the ball field and you start gauging a relationship, you know, you're just talking about life or whatever, to take one more step and befriend people. You know, Jesus, one of the criticisms of Jesus was that he was a friend of sinners. Man, people criticized him. Well, one of the dangers of being in the church world for some time is your number, the amount of friends you have that don't know Christ starts to drop. And if you don't watch it, you can end up living a very un-Jesus-like life, having no friends who don't know Jesus. Jesus intentionally built friendships with people who did not know him. And whether they receive him or not is irrelevant. He was going to love them and befriend them regardless. I'm going to ask you, what friends do you have that don't know Jesus? 
And are you picking up the mat and doing whatever it takes to invite them to a church service, to invite them to a Bible study, a small group, to invite them to a concert, to invite them to a craft group, to invite them to a ladies' tea, to invite them to a guys' camp out, to invite them to a sporting event, doing whatever it takes? People picked up my mat and got me in front of Jesus. How is your friend going to meet Jesus? You have to pick up the mat with some other friends. And then the choice is between him and God once he gets there. Once she gets there. See, God wants to change us to be less self-centered and more other-centered. That's why he left us here, be missionaries in our world. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we are thankful for the story of these four guys. These, uh, I pray right now that you would do a miracle. Um, I cannot do what we're about, I'm about to ask you, Lord, and, and we can't manufacture it. I'm asking you to do what only you can do by your spirit. Guys, our heads are bowed. Would you join me in praying this prayer? I'm going to ask you to ask God, who are the people in your world that God wants you to go deeper in friendship or to begin a friendship and they don't know Jesus. Maybe there's somebody, somebody in your class, you know, classmate of yours or somebody you play ball with, somebody uh, you go to some, uh, some community game once a month, somebody's house. And Would you ask God, say, dear God, bring their name to my mind right now or the face to my mind of the person or the people. You want me. You are choosing and calling me to reach out and try to share Jesus with. Who are the people you want me to be a real friend with? Real friends introduce their friends to their best friend. God, speak to us. Ask him right now in your heart. Ask him to give you a name or names, faces. And if you have a piece of paper, I'd write that name down. See, when God speaks to you, what do you do with that? Do you just kind of let that go in one ear and out the other? I'd take your smartphone and email yourself, text yourself right now, whatever it takes to remember the name or the face of that person or people that God wants you to be a friend to, to do whatever it takes, to invite them to church next week so they can encounter Jesus. I mean, other friends are going to pick up the mat with you. And for those of you who don't know Jesus Christ yet, I know a group like this. I remember sitting in church. I'm going to tell you, you need Jesus Christ as Savior. God loves you so desperately. He sent his son to die in your place. He rose again. He did what you could not do. And now God has orchestrated in your life to bring you to this moment so you could receive him. And it's time. It's time for you to, to admit you're a sinner. It's time for you to admit sins have consequences. God is just. And to place your faith in the cross of Jesus Christ as payment for your sins. And not just payment for your sins, but victory over them. Like they don't control you anymore. When Jesus saves you, that mat, whatever was enslaving you, no longer controls you. You have total freedom from it. It's time for you to place your faith in Jesus and give him total control of your life. 
And you can pray just something like this. You can pray, dear Jesus, I right now want to receive you as my Savior. I confess you as Lord. May I make you my leader and give you control of my life. I place my faith in the death and resurrection, your cross, your resurrection. And I ask you to save me right now. Save me, make me your child, forgive me of my sins. Right now I receive you by faith. And if you prayed that, everything has changed. Everything. You are no longer a slave to the mat, the thing that had you locked down your entire life. You're freed and forgiven. Your sins are forgotten in heaven. And God loves you so much. He is now your best friend. Lord, I thank you for this time. I pray you have your way in our hearts. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If God spoke to you, by the way, about, uh, about that friend, respond to God. He spoke to you for a reason. I mean, go out and invite that friend to an event, uh, some church thing or church-related thing, or just invite him out just to share your story. You say, what do I start? Tell them what great things God has done for you. And invite them to share their story and say, hey, I, what, do, what do you believe about God? Hear their story and start a dialogue. Uh, if they're a real friend and you come in not as a know-it-all, but somebody as a friend, they'll still be your friend afterwards and they'll appreciate you even more for it. And you re, if you receive Christ as Savior, would you let me know by taking out your Connect card? Everybody take out your Connect card right now. Tear it off of the worship guide. Put your name on the front of it. You're in the 9.30 a.m. service. If you're online uh, worshiping with us, go ahead and click the online connect card uh, that is at the bottom of the media center page. And uh, if you receive Christ as Savior, make a note online on the online connect card. Let me know I prayed with Tim to receive Christ. Or on the back, go ahead on the back of this card, just let me know I prayed with Tim uh, to receive Christ. We'd like to celebrate. I'm going to send you a letter about steps you can take to grow spiritually uh, with Jesus Christ.